You're listening to Perry Noble's Thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, please check out perrynoble.com. Well, hello and welcome to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. Woohoo! My name is Shane, and I'll be your host today as we tackle the nine leadership struggles. Nine. Nine. Not ten. Yeah, I think there's probably lots more than nine. No, there's only nine. But these were the nine that we thought would be helpful today. Yep. And so speaking of today, we've had a bit of a break uh, since we were last together, Perry, and I know we may talk about your sabbatical at some point, but it's nice to be back. I would highly recommend one. That's all I'd really say about it. So here we are in August, and uh, what we want you guys to know is a couple things we need to remind you of. It's getting... Almost too late to register and attend uh, NLC uh, this year, or the New Spring Leadership Conference. Perry, tell our listeners about that. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be on Thursday, September 6th. It's a one-day deal from 8.30 to 6 o'clock. Speakers are Matt Chandler, Stephen Furtick, Craig Rochelle, James McDonald, myself, Judah Smith, Andy Stanley, Judd Wilhite, um, 8.30 to 6 o'clock. And it's it's a one-day deal. It is it's by far my favorite conference. Um, yeah. I guess because I don't have to travel, but it is wor- it is one hundred and fifty. I'm sorry, one hundred thirty nine dollars, and that price is going to be good until when Wednesday, August twenty second. Then it goes to one fifty nine, and and man, I'm telling you, it's the best one hundred and thirty nine dollars you'll spend. We have less than eight hundred spots left, and once they're gone. They're gone. There literally is no more room. There's only like twenty three hundred seats available. So if you're gonna if you're gonna be at this event, I would get signed up ASAP. Yeah. For most everybody listening to this, that means you've got a five days to seven days probably to get that registration in. So go ahead and do that. Save the twenty bucks. You can use that to take uh, somebody out on a date at some point in the future, uh, if you can even find a date. Or if you have a wife, you could go to like Starbucks four times or two times. Or you could go Probably to twice. You could go to Chipotle like six times. Yeah. If you, hey, twenty bucks is hey, real. Hey, Chipotle don't give chips though. You got to buy chips. <laughs> that's, that's the one thing I don't like about man. Them. I'm just gonna go ahead and call out the Chipotle people. That's not legit. Give your chips away. Give your chips away. Good gosh. Hey, that's just that's like leadership struggle ten. Yes. But we dealing didn't. with <laughs> chips, you have to buy. <laughs> I just enjoy chips more when they're free. Exactly. Anyway. If you're paying for them, then you're going to think they might be stale. Yeah, then I'm complaining. All right, so here's what we are going to do today, for real. We're grateful that you're with us today, and uh, we're going to take a look at uh, some leadership struggles. It was uh, a little while back, Perry, you do from time to time surveys on Twitter, and I think you just simply ask, hey, so what, what's the top leadership struggle? What do you uh, struggle with? And so we had lots of responses, but we've narrowed them down to uh, the nine we're going to talk about today. And so let's just jump right in. Uh, the answer to the, the question you asked, the biggest leadership struggle I have is, the first one we're going to talk about is feeling inadequate or feeling incompetent. Let me just go out uh, right off the bat and ask you, do you struggle with this? Absolutely. Um, you know, every Sunday that I preach, <clears throat> and it doesn't matter if it's New Spring or wherever, I get a little nervous. And I remember I had some really bad advice given to me one time that said, well, if you're nervous, you're not trusting the Spirit of God. And I'm like, oh, wow, crap, I must be a horrible person. And then I read, um, in fact, I just read this the other day in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul told the Corinthians, hey, when I showed up, I showed up with fear and trembling, and I went, oh, God, I'm normal. Um, it, it's something that we all deal with. We all deal with um, feeling inadequate. We all deal with feeling completely incompetent in what we're doing. Um, there's always people out there that's going to seem smarter 
than us. But the the biggest thing I would tell leaders, um, and this is something that I feel like the Lord really has been speaking to me over my sabbatical, is y- you are you are adequate because Jesus called you in the ministry. That's it. Doesn't matter how many Facebook friends you have. Doesn't matter how many followers you have on Twitter. It doesn't matter um, how many how big your church is. You're adequate for the ministry because Jesus called you in the ministry. Mm-hmm. Period. That's where we need to get our feelings of adequacy from from the fact that we're called by Jesus. Yep. How does that compare with understanding that that we are adequate and set in place by Jesus, but to understand that we're not necessarily we haven't necessarily earned it? No. No, we, we don't. That, that's why it's called grace. That's why the, the that's why the Lord is very clear in the Word that you know everything poured out on us grace. I think Paul wrote in Second Corinthians chapter four verse one. Therefore, through God's mercy, we have this ministry. Mm-hmm. So we have we have ministry because of God's mercy, not because of anything that we've done, but because of the mercy of God. So if we're going to preach the grace of God, we've got to be people who are willing to live the grace of God and believe the grace of God in our own lives. My counselor told me, um, I never will forget this, it was about two years ago, and we were talking about the grace of God, and he said, your biggest problem, and I think leaders struggle with this, is you believe the grace of God for other people. You just don't believe it for you. Hmm. And uh, Manny was right. That's good. Well, let me ask you this. What are some practical suggestions or routines or helpful hints you could give our leaders uh, out there who struggle with feeling adequate or incompetent? The first thing you need to do is stop comparing yourself to others. I think... uh, T.D. Jake said it best, some men never leave the locker room, and they struggle with that whole comparison thing. You've got to quit. Listen, it doesn't matter that the church down the street is bigger than yours. It doesn't matter that somebody baptized more people than you do. It, do- it doesn't matter. You've got, we've got as leaders to be faithful to do what God called us to do. So we've got to stop comparing ourselves because even if you're on top, even if you've got the biggest church, you reach the most people, you're not going to be on top forever. Like somebody else is coming mm-hmm. for you, and as soon as that person overtakes you, then you're going to feel inadequate. Then you're going to struggle with insecurity. Then you're going to struggle with doubt. And so just just know what God's called you to and be faithful to that. Mm, that's good. Well, speaking of uh, some ministry success, let's talk about the second struggle that people voiced, and that's the struggle with pride. Mm. Now, you obviously have experienced a level of success um, that many haven't at this point in leadership. How do you battle pride? You know, pride's one of those things that'll sneak up on you. And um, it can even, pride is very subtle too. And sometimes you don't see it coming. Um, it's, 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 it is the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven because he wanted the glory instead of, of giving it to the Lord. Um, I think the biggest thing that, that hits me from time to time, Shane, is I'll um, come in on a Monday morning and I'll look at the attendance report or I'll look at the offering report or some something else, um, our, our student ministry numbers, our children's ministry numbers, and uh, I just know I'm not that good. I just know there's no way. Um, I think Paul said in 1 Corinthians, um, for God chose the foolish things of this world, the weak things, the things that are not. I mean, it's just like, it, the more you're being used by God, um, the, the, the the greater that... I mean, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And I'm like, well, that's exactly what's going on in my life. I'm not going to take credit for anything that's happened because at the end of the day, yeah, we'll have 20,000 people show up at New Spring, but 
I remember when it was 15 people in a living room, and I was happy that the 15 came. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just hoping they would come back the next week. And so I think one of the biggest things when it comes to pride is just never forget um, how far the Lord's brought you. You mentioned <clears throat> that pride can sneak up on you. Uh, are there some warning signs you can give to our leaders uh, that are listening or maybe some that you see in your own life if you feel like that pride might be creeping in? If you spend more time at home looking at your at replies on Twitter than you do engaging your families, that's pride. Because what you're doing is you're searching for some form of validation via social media. And nothing's wrong with social media. I'm not the anti-Twitter guy. I'm not the anti-Facebook guy. But when you spend more time interacting with comments on Facebook when you're at home um, with your family, then, then you're com- you, that, that feeds your pride. And the reason we can go home and feel good about ignoring our wife or ignoring our kids um, because of some random guy in Oklahoma that has 200 Twitter followers and said something to us on Twitter that we feel like we need to respond to him, that's pride. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, he made me feel good. So maybe my wife isn't going to build me up, and maybe my kids are not going to tell me I'm a great dad, but I just got retweeted um, 12 times, and that's awesome. And, oh, my gosh, so-and-so retweeted. All that, that is just nothing but Satan feeding into our pride. How can you notice pride sneaking in and maybe how you um – relate to the people you work with you start looking down on them you start you'll sit at a leadership table and you'll begin to think i'm the smartest person in the room which i'm going to go ahead and say if that's true you're in a lot of trouble it's it's it's, we're, we're in a lot of trouble here at our church if i'm the smartest person in the room um the second thing is you'll begin to officially agree with that. No, I'm serious, man. I, I mean, I, I mean, thank God for Jason Moorhead. He's definitely the smartest person in the room. Some of you don't know who that is, and he's amazing. Anyway, um, uh, like if you think you're the smartest person in the room, or and this is the one that got me for the longest time in a meeting, I wouldn't listen to someone because I already had prepared in my mind what I was going to say. And so while they're talking, I'm just looking for space so I can interrupt them. Um, I don't really care what they got to say. What I've got to say is more important than what they've got to say. And so even if I've got to shut them off, I'm going to say it. That's nothing, that's nothing but a form of pride. That is nothing but a, Or always feeling like you've got to have the answer and being unwilling to say, I don't know, or start asking questions. That's a form of pride. I love, uh, I'm going to have you, I, we may have shared this before in a podcast, but this seems like a good place to do it. Uh, at a leadership retreat uh, last year, you shared with our crew that, you know, you can make a mistake, but we can't. I think that's a, a pride smothering attitude. Yep. So share that with our listeners, why you said that and why that's an important statement. We were in a, in a room, and I think it was um, the leadership team, it was the campus pastors, it was the directors. And um, I really believe this. I told everybody in the room, I said, I can make a mistake. But I don't feel like we can make a mistake, meaning, you know, at the time, I think there was 25 people in the room, 25 people praying, seeking the face of God, asking God what he wants, and then being willing to vocalize any um, any red flags that we have when it comes to making a major decision. I don't think a church can make a, a major leadership mistake if if they do that. But it takes leaders willing to say, man, I need to, I mean, what, what do you think? I don't know. What do you think? What what do you think? And asking people, um, even two and three and four levels down from them on the org chart, um, what they think. I think that's a I think that's a great way to crush pride. That's good. Struggle number three, uh, people pleasing, which mm. leads to stress. Uh, what do you think uh, draws a leader away from his or her vision to trying to please people? 
Um, the squeaky, what is it? The squeaky wheel always gets attention or whatever. I, I probably just completely screwed that up. But something about a squeaky wheel noise. Um, I'm, I'm just people pleasing is a huge temptation for pastors and leaders, and here's why. Most leaders say they have a pastor's heart, or most leaders have a pastor's heart, and pastors want to uh, shepherd, honor, take care of people. And in that, you think that by making people happy, that somehow you've done a good job as a leader, but sometimes making people happy is one of the worst things you can do as a leader. Think about what if Moses would have said, all right, you guys want to go back to slavery? I'll lead you there. Mm -hmm. That would have made the people happy. Um, it would not have been a great leadership decision. So I think we're all tempted to please people because pleasing people short-term is very easy. Long-term, it never works because, listen, somebody's always mad in your church. You could stand at the back of your church this coming Sunday and give everybody $100 bills as they left, and somebody would email about it. Mm. Somebody would get mad about it. Somebody would upset about it. So the more you try to please people, the more stress you're going to carry in um, in your life and ministry. Well, what suggestions would you give our listeners in sort of uh, sticking with what God's called them to and not being swayed by pleasing people? Well, the the thing I would the thing I would say, and I used to say, well, if they don't like it, they can leave. I mean, I used to be that guy, but that's just not true because we say we're okay with that, but we're not okay with that. Like, I don't like it when anyone leaves. There, I mean, I, I, just, I just don't. And so I think the thing that leaders need to be willing to do is listen, l- listen to those and, and sit down, maybe explain through some things. Um, but once you listen and once you explain, if there's still a disagreement, um, you've got to look at people and say, this isn't the point where we're going to have to agree to disagree. And, um, man, I love you, but, you know what, we can love each other and have different opinions. Um, I have an opinion about this area too. I think it's the the primary reason why a lot of leaders fail. Is Completely they, they, agree. They they sell their vision. I just interrupted some, you. That was pride. That was pride. I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. No, I just just to amplify this for our leaders listening, especially those in senior positions. You and I have talked to so many pastors that this is the thing that cost them their church, or that they were they they had a vision, they were called to it, they were working it hard. And then a few squeaky wheels caused them to get off track. Yeah, and the thing I would say there, Shane, is um, two or three or four people that are mad at you in your church can seem like your whole church is mad at you. And so I went there for years. I mean, I would think, okay, there's uh, 10,000 people in our church today, and all of them are mad at me. 10,000 people, you know, (laughs) they didn't show up because they were mad. Um, And so a friend of mine... uh, actually told me, he said, you need to stop yelling at the thousands because two or three are making you ill. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember that was just a big lesson for me because you can't please everyone. And and the last I checked, according to the scripture, it's not your job. The apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 1.10, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I still trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, Mm -hmm. I would not be a servant of Christ. You either serve Christ or you serve people. We we can't do both. And now it is stressful. It is stressful. But you got to remember, two or three or four people mad at you does not equal the masses being mad at you. That's good. Struggle number four: delegation. Why is it important for a leader to trust his team and delegate both tasks 
and authority uh, for a leader to be successful. Well, this is th- this this is a lesson that you learn as your church or your ministry organization grows. Um, when the church first started, I did everything um, in the church. I mean, we had fifteen people. I mean, I did. I mean, I did everything. I mean, the pastor shouldn't count the offering. Well, we didn't have anybody to count the offering. Like, I, I think I might have been the only one that can count. I'm not sure, but we like I, we did it all. I did it all. And um, after that, you know, the church starts getting bigger. Then the pastor or the leader realizes I can't do everything. And I think, Shane, I honestly believe this with my heart. I believe the reason some churches stall and will not grow is because of the unwillingness of the pastor to delegate not only task but delegate authority. Um, I, I literally had to realize, you know what, I've got control issues and unless I release these things to get done, um, they're not going to get done. So, um, it's, it's hard to do. I'm not saying it's easy. I mean, I'll go to leadership conferences and leaders will get up there and talk like it's easy. It's not easy to delegate authority. It is easy to delegate tasks because Mm -hmm. you still get to tell people what to do. Um, but when you, uh, the leader's job the best I understand it, and I'm still learning this, is to provide very clear direction. Now, some people will call clear direction micromanagement. It's not micromanagement. It's clear direction. Here are the guardrails. Stay within these guardrails. Um, but uh, after that, uh, he or she has to be willing just to let certain things go. They they might not do it the way you would have done it, and you know what? It probably means it's going to be better. That's okay. That's right. That's good. What about... Um what do you consider uh, when uh, trying to decide whether or not to delegate something in particular? Like what, what process do you go through saying, yes, this is something, task or authority, I need to delegate, and then what do you look for in the person you're, you're moving that to? I've got um, a pretty, pretty full plate. I mean, I'm going to prepare a message or, you know, whatever every week. Um, I'm going to try my best to learn some things every week as far as, you know, leadership and, and things of that nature. I'm going to try my best to help shape the direction of our church um, every week along with our leadership team and meetings and such. Um, and then I'm going to try my best to have some what I call white, white space time for me at the church where I can think, pray, brainstorm, you know. Once you get past that, I don't have a lot of time for other things. It's not meaning I won't be involved in them. It's just that I don't have time. And so I think if you hire the best people possible, cast very clear vision, and let them run with it, 90% of the time it's going to be a home run. What we'll do is the 10% of the time that it kind of flops, we'll focus on that. We don't focus on the 90% of the, of the victories. For example, if we're going to do a video, um, like a sermon illustration or, or whatever, I kind of feel like I provide very clear direction, and then I get out of the way. A lot of Sundays, I don't even see the video until it runs in the service. Why in the world would I, as the pastor, be in the video editing room when I don't even know anything about special effects? I don't know anything about audio engineering. I don't know anything about all these little gadgets they have in there that make things do. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I, listen, I don't care if it's HD. S D A E I O U. I don't. I don't care because they can do it better than me. And uh, I just, you know, you hire your experts, then you trust your experts. That's good. Uh, struggle number five. We you hit this uh, a little bit earlier, but let's talk about. <laughs> Sorry, these papers are shuffling. If they were stapled, I could manage this. That's so not much getting better. on anybody's nerves. No. In here. 
uh, especially the guy recording this. Uh, so <laughs> now, struggle number five: jealousy of other leaders. Uh, just real quickly, has this ever been an issue for you, and how do you uh, work on this struggle? Yes, the first time I saw Craig Rochelle, I was like, "That's the most good-looking man I've ever seen in my life." Does he? Does he not look like Tom Cruise just a little bit? Yes, yeah, just a, a little better. bit. He's like actually six feet tall. <laughs> yeah, he's taller than Tom Cruise. He's better looking, <laughs> and he's he's not crazy. He's way um, smarter. Too. He is smarter than Tom Cruise. <laughs> Why don't we make this the "I Love Craig Rochelle" leadership From this podcast? Point forward. I don't think he listens to this. Um, <laughs> Hey, listen, yes, I've I've been jealous of other leaders. Hey, I'll just go ahead and talk uh, about um, something that I had to fight uh, really quickly. And uh, I've talked about this, is um, Stephen Furtick. I love Stephen Furtick. He's literally one of my very best friends in the world. We, we love each other. We talk on the phone just about every week. But I had to watch myself because, you know, it took, it took our church a long time to get to 5,000 people. And he, like, said something about Jesus and opened his house, and 5,000 people came, and they took up a $10 million offering or something like that. And I'm going, what is going on up there? And I had to, I had to fight that for a while. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to celebrate mm-hmm. every time Elevation Church has a victory. And, and I do. I do. I celebrate every time that church has a victory. Every time I hear about a church baptizing a certain number of people. Every time I hear about a church breaking an attendance record, every time I hear about a church doing whatever, I'm going to be the the chief person that celebrates that victory because if I'm celebrating somebody else's victory, I can't be jealous over it. That's really good. What are uh so is that is that the primary uh suggestion you'd give to people? Celebrate other people's victories or any other helpful hints? Uh if you're just dealing with with jealousy of other leaders even on your team, uh, obviously, it could for some of our senior leaders that are listening, you know, people at other organizations or churches. Any other helpful hints for the those struggling with jealousy? The 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 big thing to remember is is jealousy is one of the things that killed Jesus. Um, the I think uh, one of the gospels records that out of envy, Pilate knew it was out of envy that the Jewish leaders handed mm-hmm. Jesus over, and I would say that still goes on in the churches. Um, envy and jealousy kills the move of Jesus in a lot of churches. Because we're so jealous of what we see others have, we can't be thankful for what God has given us. And if we can't be thankful for what God has given us, then we can't enter into what the Scripture calls true worship. Mm. And so we're not... That's one of those things where we got to look at what others are doing and celebrate it. Hey, if you work in a church and another department seems to be getting more money or getting more attention or they have a bigger budget, celebrate that because at the end of the day, you're supposed to be on the same team. And if the youth ministry is working against the children's ministry and the worship ministry is working against the, you know, video or whatever, that's not a win. It's a win when the entire church moves the ball down the field. That's good. Uh, Struggle number six. These are Roman numerals. I can't really yeah, tell. Roman I don't. Numerals. I learned how to do outlines like that, yeah. and so now I, I don't know I, why. I do this that. is, but this is number six. That's it is vi vi mm-hmm. confronting people when necessary. Obviously, confrontation uh, isn't fun. So, how do you think you do in this area? Um, I'm, I'm about fifty fifty. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm I'm not as good as I need to be. Um, some people, when they start bragging that they're good at confronting people, what they're really saying is, I'm a butthole, yeah. but nobody's really mm-hmm. articulated that That's to right. them. Um, it, confrontation isn't fun. 
I don't I don't like telling people and it there's a okay, let me just say this and I might get in some trouble for this. It's the dumbest rule I've ever heard. It's it seems like proper leadership to say it, but it's like remember if you're going to confront somebody, compliment them. So it's like okay. Um I you are a great person. Your baby's ugly. You're a great person. That's right. What do you walk away remembering? <laughs> Your baby's ugly. I'm sorry. Well, I told you you're a great person twice. No, 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 no. That that really is. I mean, you know what I'm saying, Shane? It's yes. just dumb. And I, it seems like the popular thing to say in leadership circles. There's, but There's lots of great leaders that it's called some kind of sandwich. I yeah, can't remember the, what it's. The, <laughs> it's called the stupid sandwich yeah. is what it's called because it doesn't work. Yeah. Every time that's ever been done to me, I didn't walk out of the room going, Wow, I feel encouraged. I'm a great person, and my baby's ugly, but I'm a great person. Yeah. That does not work. When rip you have rip to con- the Band-Aid off. Yes, when you to have it. to confront somebody, <laughs> you need to sit down and say, hey, listen, we're, gonna, we're about to have a tough conversation. It's because I love you, and it's because I love this church. Right. Let's go. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. You know, one thing about confrontation that can get a little muddy is obviously keeping the confrontation about the vision or the specific incident and not about the person how do you how do you uh, work through that yes because when it gets personal you've lost sight of the confrontation when you start talking about each other's mama and you say something about your the other person's parents never been married <laughs> and calling each other i mean it, it gets really bad you've got to stay on the issue and the other thing that makes um confrontation better shane is when you realize when both people realize that the ultimate goal is to make the church better, to make the organization better, to make the team better. That's the ultimate goal of confrontation. It never is to tear anybody down. Mm-hmm. It's Honestly, it's to build them up. Because if I confront somebody that I think they could do a better job, I'm not confronting them to tear them down. I'm confronting them and saying, listen, I know you're better than this right here. and Or help me understand why you did this right here, because this is what I'm feeling this is what I'm thinking. And then once you speak, you actually need to be willing to listen to them when they articulate back to you what's going on in their heart. Yeah, that's good. The other thing I've noticed is a lot of this, how to comp- confront people is one thing, but a lot of leaders are just simply afraid to confront. But, and it goes back to people pleasing. Right. Because if I don't say anything to them, then they'll like me. Well, actually, if you see me walking toward a cliff, but you don't say anything to me, I'm going to be really pissed when I fall off the cliff because I'm like, well, you didn't say anything to me. Well, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Yep. Now, I'm, a, I'm going off a cliff. Hey, Don't I'll, let me fall off the flipping cliff. A leader that doesn't confront doesn't care. That's right. I mean, you've got... And they do not love. Like Jesus did that. Yes, he did. He called Peter Satan. <laughs> did, I mean, how, how legit is that? Get thee behind me, Satan. So I'm not... Saying that you need to run in and call your staff member Satan. I'm just saying Jesus did confront people. Hey, and then he let Peter be the preacher that saw 3,000 people. Yeah, but you know what he didn't do? (laughs) He didn't say, Peter, you're a great guy. You're Satan, (laughs) and you're a great guy. He just said, get thee behind me, Satan. He did not use the confrontation sandwich. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Confrontation sandwich. Yes, that's that's what it's called. called. Uh, Struggle number seven, or VII, if you're keeping score, is insecurity. Uh, talk about insecurity. I can't talk about this. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> sorry. <laughs> Do you struggle with insecurity? Uh, yeah. And if so, how have you uh, dealt with it? Let me let me go back in my papers, in my notes here. Um, it, go, it goes back to feeling adequate and competent. It goes back to, it goes, I'm so insecure right now. It goes back to, it goes back to pride. 
Um, but yeah, I struggle with insecurity because so I mean, the, when I was going through one of my biggest um, battles in the depression that I went through, one of the biggest things was uh, insecurity. And I was like, man, there's the, all these people showing up at church. And listen, you can fill this with a hundred. You can fill this mm-hmm. with um, fifty. I mean, I mean, it doesn't matter the size of the church. I mean, you can feel insecure, and you got these people showing up. And um, I, I thought it was my job to keep it going. And uh, I was in—I was actually listening to you talk to another staff member, mm-hmm. and you shared Philippians one six that if you know if God started it, He'll carry it on to completion. And I'm like, man, that is good. That's what I needed to hear. And so the thing I find myself doing anytime I'm battling with insecurity is going back to scripture over and over and over again and trying to find my identity in Christ rather than my identity in what I'm doing. And ultimately that's what it boils down to is to lock into the promises of God and what he says about you, not what you may think of yourself. Yes. Or because, what others are saying. Yeah. And that's the other thing. The other reason we feel insecure is because we get focused on what others are saying, the neck, the negative and the naysayers. And Hey, you're going to have them. Jesus had them. Paul had them. The thing I would say is ignore them and and move on because they they will create insecurity in you. Somebody doesn't like what you're doing. Big deal. Move on. That's good. Uh, struggle number eight. Or V I I. Or V I I. Struggle is, V <laughs> is failure. At some point, we all fail. Uh, what are some uh, ways you deal with this when it happens to you? Um, just knowing that. Scripture says, I think it's, um, is it Proverbs, where though a righteous man fall seven times, he gets back up again? And I'm like, that that's success right there. Falling down and getting back up. Falling down, getting back up. If you're a leader, it's not, will I fail? It's when I fail, I will do blank. And so, um, man, I just know, and working in the church for over 22 years, and, and being the pastor of this church for 12, man, we've We've had some, we've had some major goofs up. I, I feel like I've had some major goof ups. I mean, I'm, I've made some bad decisions, and the biggest thing is um, just admitting it and moving on. I mean, I know a lot of people they won't, they won't take steps of faith because they fear failure. And I think one of the greatest, um, I think one of the biggest barriers holding the church back today is leaders that are unwilling to take a step of faith. Mm-hmm and move forward and do what God has called them to do because they fear failure. But, like, what if Noah would have feared failure when he built the, built the boat? Or what if Joshua would have feared failure when he marched around the walls of Jericho? Or, um, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that you could fear failure in, but because you fear failure, you won't, you won't step in. Fearing failure is ultimately what holds you back in your faith. Yeah, that's good. Even if you're battling fear that you might fail, what God's calling you to do is move forward and trust Him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and there's going to, every leader, like I said before, is going to fail, but failure can be a blessing at times. Nobody wants to fail, but sometimes it puts you back on the course God wants you on. Is there a time you can think of where you thought uh, a decision we had made uh, maybe got us off, off track where you actually saw the Lord work that to our favor? Oh, man. I mean, there's so many, but the one popped in my mind immediately was Easter of 2002. Um, it, I never will forget, we, we, we did uh, a direct mail, 
piece because we were told that direct mail will grow your church, not Jesus. So we um, <laughs> we did a direct mail piece, and we did. We mailed it to, oh my gosh, 30,000 pe- homes. I mean, there was this direct mail piece, and it was real cool, and had a trendy looking guy on the front. It was Easter, so we were preparing for a thousand people for Easter. The largest crowd we'd ever had was six hundred and thirty-five back in February two thousand two. So we we're preparing for a thousand people for Easter. Um, and so, you know, Easter shows up and we're having it and it's great and it's awesome. 573 people <laughs> showed up. And, uh, I felt like, I mean, 573 is a great number for yeah. a church that's about two and a half years old, but I felt like the biggest failure. I'm like, we were, we were asking God for 573. Well, it took us some time, but that summer we recognized some things that, um, we had to change and alter in order to grow we added a few staff. We made a couple adjustments. And then literally that summer in August, we went from 500 to 1,600 in six weeks with no explanation as to why. I mean, we weren't launching a brand-new series. We weren't doing anything spectacular that um, church growth experts say you have to do. And I look back, and I go, if if we would have had a 1,000 people at Easter in 2002 – it wouldn't have been a blessing. It would have been a short-term blessing and a long-term curse um, because we weren't ready for it. But because we were um, willing to kind of look at the organization that summer, make some changes, make some restructuring things, when it happened in the fall, it did not crush us because we were ready. That's that's just the first one that pops in my mind. When you, I guess the key, what you're saying is in failure. When something does go... Uh, not the way you plan, to pay attention to what's going on, make some adjustments, and just don't make the same mistakes twice. Yeah, I mean, it's a great thing that God has never answered yes to every one of my prayers. (laughs) I would have a really nice car, but still, God doesn't need to say yes to all my prayers. Uh, Final leadership struggle we're going to look at today is confidence. This is sort of the opposite of where we started, of feeling adequate and incompetent. what about somebody who struggles with just simply being confident enough in where they are and what they're doing? Um, have you ever struggled with this? What would you instruct or encourage those listening to do if they're struggling with confidence? You know, confidence is one of those things. It's a, it's a, it's a two-edged sword because if you get up on stage and you speak and you lead with confidence, um, people are going to call you arrogant. And there's a big difference between arrogance and confidence. Arrogance is, I am awesome. Confidence is, God is awesome. And I've been called to go out and speak, you know, by him for such a time as this. Mm. Um, Confidence comes from understanding that that Jesus said that he would build his church. Jesus is the head of the church. That Jesus said that in the church we could see greater things than we ever imagined. Um, confidence is that God's word will not return void. Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 13 talks about how when God's word goes out, it produces a harvest. I mean, there's, there's conf- confidence is ultimately found in God's word. If I'm mm-hmm. looking to myself for a source of confidence, I'm ultimately going to fail me because at the end of the day, I still sin. I still fall incredibly short of what I believe God wants for my life. Um, many times, but at the end of the day, my confidence has to come back from I'm called, I'm gifted, I'm empowered, I'm enabled, Mm. I'm spirit-filled, and I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm going to do it 
um, the the way he's called me to do it, but I'm I'm going to do what he's called me to do. That's great. Well, we've gone through nine leadership struggles today, Perry. I know or you IX. <laughs> or IX leadership struggles today, where uh, hopefully you guys listening uh, have gotten some helpful hints from Perry. Uh, we would always ask that if you want to, us to discuss anything in particular or have suggestions on topics we should cover, send us an email to hello at newspring.cc and just uh, put in the subject line leadership podcast and give us your questions. Hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to next next month's leadership podcast. We're going to answer questions that our, our listeners send in. So if you have a question, if you'll send that in to hello at newspring.cc and just put in the subject leadership podcast question, we will answer your leadership question at the next leadership. And, and if we answer your question, uh-huh. I'm totally making this up on the spot, but I think this is really good. If we use your question in the leadership podcast, you'll get two free tickets to our Unleashed conference in March. Sweet. That's I like awesome. that idea. I'm going to send in some questions. That's awesome. And you can stay at our student pastor's house, Brad Cooper. <laughs> he has a, he, he just bought a house, and you can stay in, in his house. You don't even have to get a hotel room. I made that last part up. You cannot stay <laughs> at Brad's house. Although he's as good-looking as Craig Rochelle. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, listen, we've had fun today, and we will see you guys next month on the Leadership Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. Yeah. Yeah, we did that less than 40 minutes.